Welcome back to the Turnkey Brothers Podcast, brought to you by Boise Turnkey. Today, we have Carter Yokomon, who absolutely crushed it in the last six months doing real estate, or in his first six months doing real estate, which is the same thing. He talks about how he made money in real estate so he can leverage to the bigger opportunities that he wants to use to impact the world. In doing so, he talks about the vehicles he takes to get to success and the foundation he built upon it. He talks about models and systems that are gonna catapult you forward to your future and achieving your financial freedom. All right, welcome back, Turnkey family. Today, we have Carter Yoakum with us, and we are going to talk about being an entrepreneur and getting into the right mindset of building businesses, getting started in real estate, and using that as a platform to get started and spring load you into the future. So without further ado, Carter, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, thank you for that intro. Um, So I got started in entrepreneurship when I was like six. I, I went to the store with my mom and dad, found a roll of candy that was for sale for 12 and a half cents. So you had to buy two. For a quarter, and I went and sold them at school for like a buck a piece. Um, so that's where I started. Today, I've probably had about eight or nine different businesses. As you mentioned, I got into real estate last year with you guys yeah. at the yep. same time, um, which is super fun. That's how we met. And real estate was a stepping stone for me, as you mentioned. So it gave me a platform to spring load me into really the businesses that I want to grow in the future. That's awesome. So you talked about uh, some of the businesses you did before. Uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot is mindset and getting from like the W two mind, which it sounds like <laughs> before the age of six there really wasn't much W twos for you to have. Right. But the W two mindset, it's like the cash flow quadrant. So you've got the the W two, the self employed, the business owner, and then the uh, investor. So talk to us a little bit about the mindset, what it takes to shift from that W two to that that business mentality, or what it was like for you. For sure. You guys know what Dutch Bros is? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nothing against Dutch Bros, but it's not the highest quality coffee. Okay. I think people would agree with that. There's there's higher quality coffee. However, there's always a line outside of Dutch Bros. And the idea is if you can if you can understand that if even if you don't like Dutch Bros, there's always going to be a line outside of Dutch Bros. If you can if you can understand that there are different people who like different things than you, that's that's the basis for getting into entrepreneurship. And the reason I say that is we're all selling something. You're either selling your time to an organization as a W-2 employee. You're either selling yourself to people because you're a coach. You're either selling real estate. It's it's you're always selling something, a product. And so if you're if you can be objective enough to understand that everyone has something different that they like and different that they need. I think that's really where you need to start to to get out of the W-2 mindset because um, typically I find people in the W-2 mindset are, they, they don't understand the risk that they have being in a W-2 job. They just see it as a risk when they don't have one. And you're saying the Dutch bros, it always has a line outside of it, not because of the quality that it puts out, but because of the convenience. It has, you know, two entrances to get your coffee and it always has energetic peppy employees that are are selling their brand um that's kind of the product that maybe somebody like a coffee on um 
like a snob. Yeah, thank you. Coffee yeah. snob wouldn't be into, <laughs> but the high school kid that's just trying to get a uh, getting jazzed before they go to class or <laughs> whatever. Quick coffee. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the the idea is is um when when you are in a W two job, you don't like the risk it poses to leave that job in your life. And if you break it down, what is that risk? It's the the risk is the perceived risk, I should say, is really a misunderstanding of what having a job is. Because at any moment, uh, a company could go down. And at any moment, we could have, just like we did a couple months ago, more than 13,000 engineers hit the market because of the recession. I don't know if you guys heard about that, but there were tons of layoffs, specifically in um, software development. Mm -hmm. So there is risk. And in my mind, and I, I believe in your guys' mind, the best way to mitigate that risk is understand that there is something that you can provide to people in an entrepreneurial way that they want to buy from you that you can then leverage at such a high position that you will have financial and other success that's more secure than a W-2 job. Yeah. I want to talk about that a little bit because you bring up a really good point and that's value. I really want to drive home value mm. because the more value you can provide somebody, the more you can trade for money because you're not quote unquote making money. The only people that can make money is the government. We are trading our value. They're really good at that too. Yeah. <laughs> we are trading our value for, um, for money. Right. right. And in the W2 world, the the biggest value a W-2 person has is their time because that's all they know. So they say, hey, I'm going to trade 40 hours this week and you're going to give me X amount of dollars. And that's all my value is worth. Now I can go to school and increase my value. I can go to learn a trade and increase my value, but that's just going to increase the dollar amount that you are giving me, right? Versus the entrepreneurial side, you are creating value like your businesses. And that's what I want to get into. So yep. you try a business, you try it out, you take the risk of going in. How much value can I provide and how much ROI is that going to give me? Okay. Scratch that one off the list. This didn't work. Let's go to the next one. Let's yeah. try to add a higher value. That's going to give me a bigger ROI. And I think that's the biggest difference that a lot of people maybe can't quite understand. So can you walk us through maybe some of the businesses, maybe some of the, um, trials, yeah. tribulations, you know, with, with a couple of them? Yeah, for sure. So one of my favorite ones is, of course, if you're trying to get into entrepreneurship, uh, a, good, a good place to start is just to understand sales. And one of the best ways to get into and understand sales, according to all the online gurus, is drop shipping and Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> right. So um, probably about seven years ago, I tried to get into Amazon and sell something on Amazon. And something that I was particularly passionate about at the time was trying to create a business that fit in with kombucha. Hmm. And uh, I made I made the worst decision to try to sell one gallon glass jars for kombucha. Glass jars. Yes, <laughs> one gallon glass jars. So I sourced them. I purchased, I think I purchased around 600 of them, had them shipped to my house, big containers. And then I individually packaged and resold them through Amazon. I didn't send them to a distribution center, which is how you should do it. <laughs> So very quickly, though, I found out that, number one, that wasn't a very high leverage opportunity. The profit wasn't there. Number two, that's a very competitive space on Amazon. There's a lot of different glass jar manufacturers and resellers. Mm. It's a race to the bottom, basically, yeah. 
because one glass jar is not different than another glass jar, really. And then third, it's it was a it was a bear to try to ship a gallon glass jar without it breaking. <laughs> and so <clears throat> there were a lot of components that I didn't think about, and I ended up just trashing that business. And I think I lost like three hundred bucks over the whole period. Um, but yeah, that that was the first business that was really a failure. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, out of the, the several that I've done. Can you talk a little bit about what you learned? 100%. Right. So the next business I did was a coffee shop. And I got to take the information from the failure mm-hmm. of, okay, first of all, I want to point out that in my mind, it was a failure, but I still got up and tried again. Mm-hmm. Um. So a lot of people say like fail forward and uh, fail early, fail often, fail, fail forward. forward. Yeah. Okay. That's that's awesome. And as long as you take it as a failure, that's how you really learn. Because if you don't think it's a failure and it doesn't like you don't feel the pain of it being a failure, you won't learn. Um, pain is a great teacher. So the pain of losing in that instance, it wasn't losing the three hundred dollars. It was losing what I thought was going to be a fifty thousand dollar business. So I lost that. And moving on to the next business, I was able to take number one, okay, let me let me think about these factors. Like what are the limiting factors to scale? I didn't have a warehouse that I could put ten thousand glass jars in. So that was a that was a limiting factor. Number two, who's my competitor? My competitor was everyone else on Amazon who wanted to sell a one gallon glass jar. And mine was not unique by any means. Mm-hmm. In fact, we all listed our glass jars under the same listing but we just had different sellers. So we used the same pictures, the same description and all that stuff. And people would just choose which glass jar to, like who to buy from, mm-hmm. which was terrible. Um, and then, and I say that really the final big thing was after scale and competitors was how do I identify a higher leverage opportunity? Um, and I'm not afraid to jump out of one thing and into the next a typical business, I would say, and I've, I've learned this from a guy called Alex Hormozzi online. He says, typically, whenever you're in the same business, when you're at three to five million in revenue, that's whenever you want to start to look at different levers within your business to pull to try to have, have higher leverage opportunities and make more money. But before, I obviously didn't get to three to five million in revenue. Instead of trying to pull a different lever in the glass jar business, I decided to drop that one and go find another lever. So you tried to find a uh, a faster vehicle because he also talks about yes. the vehicle that's going to get you to that three to five million. Absolutely. Okay. Which brings up the point that I, I wanted to make about Warren Buffett. So mm-hmm. he's got a quote that says, um, it doesn't matter how hard you row, but what boat you're in. Mm. And he tells that story in conjunction with, with uh, a story about one of his college um, buddies who they went through the same program at Columbia, I believe. And... His buddy went into steel as a broker, and he went into investments. And he said, this guy was just as smart, if not as smart as I was, probably better looking, had, had you know, better social skills. But he went into a different vehicle that wasn't going in the right direction. So he was rowing as hard as he could, but Warren Buffett happened to get in the boat uh, where the water was flowing in the right direction. That was a great example that you made with with Alex Harmosian going into the Warren Buffett because yeah. of the same vehicle. Because something else he talks about, which relates to your story, was 
that opportunity cost that you talked about. Mm. Yes, you lost $300, okay? But to the entrepreneur, that $300 is just a number. What yep. you really lost was a $50,000 business, right? So you've identified the steps to get to there and you and you decided, okay, I'm in the wrong vehicle. Even though you didn't make it to your 50,000, I'm in the wrong vehicle. I need to get into into a better vehicle that one, one that I understand more that's going to have a higher leverage to get me there. Is that correct? 100%. Yeah. yeah. So really that $300 cost actually gained you, you know, multiple different businesses, which you get more experience and ultimately led you into real estate, which is how you springboarded to what's coming, which sounds yeah. just chatting with you. Very, very exciting. Right. Yeah. I want to talk about losses real quick because yeah. let, let's talk about ROI, like college, for example, I'm sure all of us here have been to college and we understand the money that we put into college, what's the return on investment look like? Totally. For me, it was negative, all right? <laughs> but the amount of money I've spent on myself moving forward, the businesses that I failed, I have learned so much more and earned so much more just by investing myself. Even if it was a thousand, five thousand dollars to some, it may feel like a loss, but how you apply that moving forward into your new businesses makes all the difference. 100%. It's very, it's very difficult to track those losses and, and how they turn into a gain. Mm -hmm. However, if let's say you just put like a, a one year timeline behind whenever you make a loss, because for, let's say for someone who goes to, let me back up and start over. <clears throat> let's say someone goes to college and they spend 40,000 bucks for a degree and then they go make $60,000 a year for the next 30 years. It's very easy to quantify how much money they made from that investment. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to do that for entrepreneurship and the failures that you make. So I'll give you an example. I spent $10,000 a couple weeks ago to go golfing with two guys, Ryan Pineda and Pace Morby. That's a lot of money, number one. But number two, what did I get from it? Over the next 30 years, there's no way of telling how much return I'm going to get on that investment. But I do know that today, from the relationships that I made, I've already, I, I've already, I do know today from the relationships that I've that I forged during that time playing golf with these guys, I've already got twenty four thousand dollars in return revenue coming, and that's that's within three months. So it's difficult to quantify the full value of it, but I can. I don't want to say I can guarantee. <laughs> But I know that in my life, Lord willing, things will continue to go this way. But in my life, um, when I invest in myself or I decide to make those failures, that's when I see the, the biggest gain on the backside. Also, what people don't realize is college degrees, once you get that piece of paper, that's as valuable as it will ever be. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe it'll be more expensive later to get that same piece of paper, but that doesn't scale by itself. Those relationships that you built and... Uh, the experiences that you had, all of that compounds over time. So you made 24,000 in the next, or in the first three months, probably in the first three years, all of that, that 24,000 would compound and you would be making 100,000, multiple hundreds of thousand dollar returns from that one experience because yeah. it put you in the space to compound and to increase the your influence. That's a really interesting point you make about the degree only being worth so much to make you more valuable. Mm -hmm. What do people do after they go to college? They go learn skills. They go get experience. 
they go get certifications, all the things that entrepreneurs do in the first place, they just skip the education part to get the piece of paper. Right. So if you just focus in those areas, relationships, experience, skills from the get-go, you're going to be able to, your, your graph will look like this instead of, you know, you're not going to have such a slow growth pattern. It will be a lot more exponential. Yeah. And that pulls up my heartstrings a little bit too, because you talked about investing that much money in yourself, mm. doing things for you instead of going out and getting a certi certif certificate for your company or a new skill for your company. You know, that's investing time in the company. There's no risk involved in you. You're not paying for it. But for you to invest that into yourself, I feel like is not something too many people do these days. Yeah. And that's part of being an entrepreneur is bettering yourself each and every day, being 1% better so that by the end of the, the day, the year, 10 years, you're the tallest tree in the forest. This is, this is something that I really like to harp on for people because a lot of people want to be selfless. And in my mind, let's take Jesus, for example. Yeah. He's a pretty selfless guy. When he needed to take time away from everybody, he didn't tell anybody sorry. When he went to pray in the forest by himself for five hours or eight hours or do whatever, spend time with the Lord, he didn't say sorry to anybody. What he was doing was he was getting straight. And that's what we should all be doing as we're making ourselves better. We're going to exercise. We're going to read a book. We're going to hang out with people that, that fill us up. Whatever we're doing, we're only making ourselves better so that way we can impact the people around us at a higher level. Because if you're a good person, which I'm, I'm hoping most people watching this are, your goal in life generally is to have a good life and help others have a good life. And so the more you get to focus on building yourself up, the more you're going to be able to reach out and lift other people up as well because you're going to have a bigger platform. You're going to have uh, stronger arms to, to be able to pull people behind you. You're going you're to have more resources to help people. You're going to have more relationships. It all compounds just like we're talking about. Yeah, that was a, a side of entrepreneurship that I didn't know existed. And I have found that most the, the reason why most people become entrepreneurs is because they want to help out others. They want to help their community. And in order to do that, they need a platform to which to do it from. Totally. Right? Yeah. Rising tides raises all ships. Yep. And a lot of entrepreneurs see that like, hey, these are the current systems in place. There's, you know, companies, big companies, there's the government, all these entities that are trying to make money. And a lot of entities that say they're trying to make the world a better place, but these entrepreneurs say, look at it, and they're like, I can do that better. Yeah. So I'm going to. Yeah, that's that's a fun. I had a visualization when you were saying a rising a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're the entrepreneur and you don't focus on self-improvement, you put your boat in the water and you row out there and you got a bunch of holes in it. Yep. And you're spending time plugging these holes instead of fishing and helping other people. So- that was, that's just an interesting thought. <laughs> I love it. All right, so let's take this whole mindset, um, building businesses, building structure, and how did you take these years of experience and translate that into real estate totally. and become successful in real estate? Yeah, and your plan going into real estate, where you're always like, ah, this is going to be like a short little blip on in my story, or was that something that you kind of thought maybe it'll be a longer blip? Yeah. So my mother was in real estate growing up. So I've, I've been in and around it, which this is a, a key lesson for anybody who wants to get into entrepreneurship. If your parents are in any kind of category that has to do with sales or entrepreneurship, you are going to be better than 90% of the people out there just from exposure. 
And so if you are truly interested in a higher leverage opportunity, stick with what you're going to be good at just from the exposure from your parents. So that's why I chose real estate in the first place. I knew real estate. Let me back up here. I thought real estate for a very long time was a bad opportunity because, sorry, mom, if you're watching this, <laughs> but my parents didn't have the skill set or the knowledge to be able to manage the money that they made well. And of course, they're doing a lot better now. But back when we were kids, I didn't see real estate as being the highest leverage opportunity for me because I saw the work that my mom did. I saw the work that my mom and dad did together in real estate. Mm -hmm. And it didn't produce what I had perceived to be, you know, we're hyper rich. Uh, we lived a great life. But, you know, I'm thinking like Lamborghinis and helicopters and jets, you know? And so I'm like, I won't do real estate because we didn't have all those things when I was a kid. Which was literally the last month of your life. <laughs> Just for our viewers out there who don't know this, check out his social media. <laughs> so that being said, though, it took me meeting someone. It's a gal here actually at Keller Williams Realty Boys. Her name's Christina Ward. I was doing a video production with her involved and I sat down and we had lunch together uh, during during the break. And I was just talking with her about her business, learning about who she was. I really enjoyed who she was as a person. I really liked some of the morals that she had regarding her work-life balance with her family. And then I learned that she became a millionaire at like 32. And I thought, damn, I'm 30. I better get on this horse. Mm -hmm. And so I actually applied for a job with her because I wanted to learn. And this is, this is another key point is... There's a time in your life where it's important to work to learn versus working to earn. And when you work to learn, you're not going to make as much money, but you're, you're continually filling that bank account of skills and knowledge and experience that's going to be higher leverage later. So when I met Christina and understood that she was able to become a millionaire at 32 from real estate, that's when my brain switched. I had a, a light bulb moment. Because before, there was no Lamborghinis, Jets, and, and cruises. But I met Christina, and she had the things that I perceived as, as being uh, wealthy. So once I decided to get into real estate, I was able to take all the experiences from prior businesses and apply them. But uh, uh, I was able to take all the experiences from prior businesses and apply them to getting into real estate but the biggest mind shift, the, the biggest mindset shift came from reading the book, the the millionaire real estate agent mm -hmm. by Gary Keller. Yeah, and there's a there's a graph. Um, it's not a graph. There's a uh, uh, diagram in the book, and it's a pyramid, and the pyramid is split in half horizontally. On the top of the pyramid is creativity, and on the bottom is model systems and tools, and so it looks like this when it's proper and the models and systems and tools are on the bottom. So it's your foundation. But I had always started a business like this with creativity first. And so it's unstable and it, and it falls over. And in all of my previous businesses, what I had done was built the business in a way that relied a hundred percent on me to perform. So in the, uh, in the coffee shop, let's say I got to a point where I was working 10 hours, 12 hours a day at the coffee shop as the barista. I was also the owner. I also handled ordering materials. 
and uh, you know rent and and utilities and all this stuff, and it was too much. And I got to a point where I couldn't make any more money because I didn't have any more leverage. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing with the t-shirt business. I couldn't. I, I literally couldn't print any more t-shirts because I didn't have enough time in the day. And it wasn't until I read that book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, where I saw this. I had always started the business with creativity and never with model systems and tools. So that's that's really what kickstarted me getting into real estate. I knew that I could apply my knowledge from my mother that I had just having the exposure mm-hmm. and use model systems and tools that I would learn from Keller Williams ultimately to get into to, to real estate. So it would be a higher leverage opportunity for me to go on to do the things that I want to do in business. Yeah. And, and real estate, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you pretty much crushed it in the first six months. And that is giving you the platform to do what you want to do now. And that's just because you had all this prior knowledge that you've absorbed from your mom, from your mother as a child. And then you took what she gave you, converted it into your past failures, if you will, yep. uh, experiences and inverted your triangle. And that was the catalyst to get you on to what's coming next. Right. So you haven't been a real estate agent that long. Less than a year, actually. Less than a year. Yep. You're, you got hyper-focused on finding somebody who makes more money than you, who has done it before, traded your time, and in return, built your toolbox full of, uh, of knowledge and skill sets with her, and then built your systems on the, was it the model systems and tools? Yep. And just hyper-scaled yeah. for the first year. Put your head down, started walking that trail, and worked as hard as you could, knowing that you were on a good foundation. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I got started, I didn't even know what a system was. Like the word system, uh, obviously something that I'd used, but I was thirty years old and I, I didn't understand like what is a business system, what is a business model, what is a tool that I use in my business. Mm-hmm. I had used all of these things before, but I didn't understand them at their base level. So like. For instance, a tool that I would use in my uh, coffee business was my espresso machine. Mm-hmm. That's a tool. But being able to understand that it was a tool for my business just it didn't it didn't come it didn't come to my brain for whatever reason. And so when I got into real estate, starting with, okay, I really need to hammer out what my systems and my models and my tools are going to be for this business. That's what led ultimately to my to my success in real estate in the first year. Okay. So I want to touch on this because it's super important. There's so many different ways you can get started in real estate. There's so many different ways you can get started in business. Obviously, you have mentioned a few like drop shipping and whatnot, Amazon, right? right? There's so there's multiple things that you can do out here. It's just identifying one that works best for you. And I know we talk about real estate a lot, but you could be an agent, you could be a wholesaler, you could be a flipper, you could do creative deals, you could work in zoning, like there's just so much that everybody talks about, especially on all the bigger forms or bigger pockets. Like, you know, do this, this, and this, you'll get rich. Like, just just find one that works for you. And you did. You became an agent. You buckled down. You implemented systems, and you took all that prior knowledge to just scale from there. What were what were some of the models and systems that you put into place uh, that made you so successful? So one of the things that I had not understood that was most important to my success early on was follow up. Mm. Yeah. What, what, what even is follow-up? I had implemented it previously in my other businesses. So one, one of the longest standing businesses that I have, and, and this is where I'm 
heading in the future is my media business. Mm -hmm. So my media business services people doing video production and photography and things like that, social media, whatever. Um, when I reach out to a business or whenever I have contact with a potential client, I didn't understand that follow-up was actually one of the ways that you land that business. I thought it was all about the first meeting. Like if I present myself well, they're going to buy. Mm -hmm. If I send the right email and it says the right thing, they're going to buy. If I have the perfect pitch deck, they're going to buy. Not the case. In fact, I heard a statistic recently, <clears throat> a gentleman, Pace Morby, yeah. he said that 70% of his business comes from 13 follow-ups. And I read something similar in the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book. And that blew my mind, number one. But second, I also thought, how easy is that to implement some kind of either automated or just very intentional follow-up system mm -hmm. whenever I have a lead to try to land sales. And sure enough, that's exactly what it turned into was sales. So that that was that's one example, but that was probably the biggest one that I implemented early on was just a follow-up system. Yeah. So I think, I mean, we all hear it so many times uh, and, and Pace also says, if you're, if you didn't call twice, you didn't call once, mm. um, saying basically like one call isn't going to do it. You have right. to keep, I don't want to say hounding, but you want to keep up and let them know. And that this is kind of what we're doing with our social media is just getting in front of people's faces and giving them right. resources and giving them education, um, and giving them the opportunity to like see us and chat with us, if you will, or like interact with us. But you mentioned your social media and it sounded like that's something you tried in the past. You put it to the, the, maybe the back burner and now you're ready to pick it back up. Why are you deciding now to pick it up? So real estate, getting into real estate for me was the, the, uh, stepping stone. And, and the reason I say that is because for anybody out there who's interested in getting into real estate, I would highly encourage you to do it no matter what the time is, especially especially as a salesperson, because if you're willing to implement these model systems and tools, you're going to learn so much more that doesn't only apply to real estate, but you, you learn about tact whenever you talk with people. You learn about, um, uh, <clears throat> what is it called? You learn, you learn proper etiquette in sales. You learn the intricacies of contracts. You learn the relationship that you might have with the different ver the, the different components of a real estate transaction, like a lender and an inspector and an appraiser and all these things. And all those are very specific to real estate. The relationships that you have in any business transaction are very similar. There are many people that you interact with and learning where, learning about what role you play and how to play that role is the most important part of being a real estate agent mm. because a lot of us will spin our wheels in a bunch of different areas that don't produce profit. That's ultimately, that's, that's, that's ultimately what this whole thing is about, right? Is understanding where to spin our wheels that we will produce the most profit and then offloading the things that don't produce profit. Yeah. So, real estate isn't hard. It's just hard work, right? Yeah. Whatever it is that you're getting into. But what I love about real estate is if you're trying to start a business, it's one of the easiest ways to start a business, like becoming an agent, for example. You could go and, and take a course, and next thing you know, you're an agent, and you're thrown to the wolves. Right. But if you can buckle down, build your business, your systems, models, and tools, then you know what it's like to be an entrepreneur and own your own business, and you can catapult yourself from there. 
to to get into these higher level right. higher level vehicles that are ultimately going to make you and your family rich and then wealthy yeah. uh, later on. So is that kind of what you're leading into? Is that where you're going now? And you use that as a yes as a catapult moving forward. Yeah, that was a perfect example. So um, when I got into real estate, I knew that I wanted to make money, and I, I, I want to make this I want to make this simple for people. Is it okay if I share like numbers and like how? Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. So it cost me about $1,600 total to become a real estate agent. $800 for the course, a couple hundred bucks for the tests, and then some fees when I joined a brokerage. I joined Keller Williams Realty Boise. Once you join your brokerage, depending on what brokerage you're at, you're going to have a lot of resources available to you so that way you can get started. What I did was what many real estate brokerages tell you to do, which is to reach out to your circle, your direct contact list. Sphere of influence. Your sphere of influence, exactly. So that's exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. I got set up on a text loop where I could mass text everybody all at once, and I asked them how they were doing, if there's anything I could help them with. I followed up with people in the past. Before I was a real estate agent, they had told me that they thought about selling real estate. That's actually where I got my first contract. A year before I became a real estate agent, I had talked to a lady. I bought some hay for her, for my horse from her. And she had told me that she was thinking about selling her property. And I went and knocked on her door and I said, hey, Lori, how's it going? Do you remember me? And she's like, oh yeah, great. I was wondering if you want to buy hay this year. And I said, well, I'm here for a different reason. Obviously you still live here, but are you thinking about selling your home? And she went, well, actually I'm interviewing real estate agents right now. I'm having a tough time deciding who I'm going to use. And I said, well, I didn't tell you this, but I'm a real estate agent. And when it comes time for you to choose, I'd love to interview for that position as well. And sure enough, she called me back a week later. I got the job. That was a $1.7 million listing. My very first real estate listing. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> um, and it was it was purely because I had a relationship with this lady and I had something valuable to give her, which was my real estate license, essentially. And there was obviously a level of trust there because I had purchased hay from her and we had rapport and all of these things. And those those couple things in in that particular relationship are important. So to to recap, I spent $1,600 on my license. It took me about a month to get all set up. I spent about one week prospecting, doing my text messaging to my sphere of influence and reaching out to people, this lady in particular, knocked on her door. And then two weeks after that, so two months into it, I had a $1.7 million listing it did take about 90 days to sell, but five months in, I made $60,000 or more from that transaction. And that was one, t- that was one transaction. And I had 10 in the first six months. So. Yeah. You talked about trust too. Mm-hmm. I, w- I want to drive this home. And it's a lesson that I have learned very deeply is that trust compounds way faster than money ever will. Mm-hmm. So. When you talked about negotiating with people and building that rapport and always adding value, um, it will always compound quicker than any money that I've ever invested yeah. or know of. And that's a perfect example because she was already interviewing uh, real estate agents, right. which I'm sure more yeah. most of them, probably if not all of them, had more experience than two days at that point. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> One week of experience. Yeah. I literally had zero experience. Yeah. And she still chose you because- yeah. 
you're somebody that your brand, like Carter Yoakum, that's what, what she had her faith in, not right. necessarily yep. like your license, like you said, or Keller Williams. Um, 100%. Which is, I mean, that speaks volumes to yeah. your character for one, but also um, putting yourself out there and being somebody that people can trust and people can, you know, living your life even before you were a sales-based real estate agent um, with such like living your life above reproach so people want to do business with you even a year after the fact of meeting yeah. you one time. Yeah, there's a lot of foo-foo about becoming a sales agent, like any kind of sales. You're like, I don't want to be a salesperson. I don't want to be that tacky person that like is always down people's throats mm -hmm. trying to sell them something. You don't have to be like that. All you have to be is willing to give someone value, like you're talking about. If you're willing to provide value to people, they're going to be stoked on working with you. Yeah, another another point that Alex Hermosi says is like, in a sales industry, don't try to be what they want to be. Don't try to sell yourself. Just be yourself, and you will find the clients that want to work with you, or you will find the partners that want to work with you, yeah. and you won't lose yourself in the process, and you won't get exhausted from being somebody else every single day that you try to put on the suit and go out and do your thing. Mm, yeah, you'll, you'll definitely get burnout if you're not, if you're trying to put on a show. <laughs> yeah. So- Absolutely crushed your first six months. And now where are you going from here? Because this kind of, what just from a few conversations we've had, it sounds like you have a lot of really exciting things going, coming in your future. Yeah. So I basically burned all the money that I made in self-education. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for the person out there who's, you know, like hyper security driven, it's still my belief, my, my deep belief, and I struggle with this with a wife and kids, mm -hmm. but it's my deep belief that investing in myself is, is the highest returning, um, leverage period. And so over the past couple of months, I've been investing in relationships. I've invested in education and I'm taking that and moving forward into my media business, which ultimately has been my goal. This is something that Alex Hormozzi talks about where media is the ultimate compounding tool. Let's take a t-shirt business, for instance. To, to market your t-shirt business, you make media. Mm -hmm. To fulfill the t-shirt business, you, you have to make t-shirts. And to sell the t-shirts, you have to make sales material. And so those, those are three different components, right? You have to tell people you have t-shirts, you have to make the t-shirts, and then you have to market them. All, all this stuff. When you produce a piece of content and that's your business, that piece of content is your marketing. Mm -hmm. That piece of content is your fulfillment. And that piece of content is your sales. And so it's, it's a three-in-one banger mm -hmm. where the content that you're producing is everything about your business, sales, marketing, and fulfillment. So I'm taking that information and I'm trying to build my personal brand so that way I can funnel that down into the other businesses that I want to, that I want to get into. Yeah. The more value you add, the more trust you build. It's like building a runway and the longer you can build that runway, the longer you can add value and the more time you can spend with these future potential clients, the bigger ask you can have at the end. Totally. The bigger plane that can yeah. take off, which that's is a, huge. That's very important to bring up too, that like you're, this is something that I'm working on right now. I'm I'm not there, but I'm building my runway. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's very important to realize that as you're a young entrepreneur, 
you can be building your one runway for as long as you want to until you're ready for that plane to take off. And that's your decision. And so don't let other people discourage you and don't get down that you haven't let a plane take off from your runway yet. It's important to continue to build that runway until you're ready to take off on however big of a jet you want to take off on. Yeah. And just an example, going back to real estate, um, Matt mentioned like, it's so easy. You could quit your job, become an agent and, or, you know, try to leverage both at the same time, but you don't even have to do that to get into real estate, to start your business. You can buy a house and start house hacking. So rent out a room and then maybe buy something that needs, uh, some work done to it and start working on that while you're going to school or while you're going to your nine to five, you don't have to take the so-called risk. I know we don't consider it risk, but yep. the mass or the uh, vast majority of people consider it a risk. You don't have to necessarily bite off that risk before you're ready to take off that plane. You can be building your runway on weekends or during summer. Yep. And that was a weird, awkward stop for that <laughs> <laughs> timestamp. <laughs> Yeah. So moving forward, um, it sounds like we got the whole picture and how you've learned all these lessons of being an entrepreneur. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from having you on today is identifying that it's it's not risky. It's about adjusting your mindset uh, because what you said, having a W two is risky is inherently risky in and of itself because you're not marketing yourself to other fields. Like you're dedicated to that, and you could lose your job tomorrow. Yeah. So. Identifying that investing in yourself first, learn from your mistakes, fail early, fail often, fail forward is ultimately what's going to catapult you to that vehicle that you can drive towards your success or your one thing for you or your family or your community. Yeah. I think it's not that it's riskier or it's not as risky as having a W-2. They're both risky, but it's just W-2 jobs are marketed through school and we're indoctrinated to believe that there's no risk associated. I mean, it's all a risk. Being an entrepreneur is a risk, right? but it's only a risk if you quit. If you keep going, you're going to make it one way or another because you're you're putting your effort into it and you're going to you know, strike that gold. It's just, I don't want to promise that you're going to make it, but inevitably you're yeah. going to make that one connection. You're going to learn that one skill and if you're sitting in a nine to five, you're going to get complacent, most likely. Most people get complacent. It's I easy. Mean, Matt and I had probably both, we were both government employees. We had one of the safest jobs out there, and we both got essentially terminated for things that we could not control. Mm. Yeah. So, And that's why we both took our lives in our hands, like it sounds like you did, um, by becoming entrepreneurs and deciding there is never going to be somebody above me that can take my livelihood away from me and my family. Yeah, there's, there's, this is how I like to think about it. The, the journey of entrepreneurship is like a journey to whatever paradise you want for yourself. And a lot of people see the journey as, okay, there's this vehicle that I want to get into. And first I have to get in it and drive. And then you hit a roadblock. Visualize that. Visualize you're on this journey to your perfect paradise and you hit a roadblock and the car is wrecked. A lot of people get out and they go back to the life they had. But what entrepreneurs do is they get out of the car, they jump over the roadblock and they start walking. And then they wait until they see another vehicle on the side of the road and they get in that vehicle. And they drive and they hit another roadblock or they hit a pothole or whatever. And it's going to be a bumpy ride. But as long as you continue to get out of that vehicle or 
get out of the vehicle and fix it and get in and keep going, you're going to hit that ultimate paradise for, for whatever you're trying to search for and whatever you want for your life. You're going to get there. But as long as you continue to get back in the car and keep going. That's a perfect segue to lead us into our last question that we have for you today. Um, what's one thing that you can tell our listeners today that would help them get started to their paradise Yeah, to get them into their vehicle to get going? I would say a couple things. So first you have to realize, have enough self-awareness of what your risk tolerance is. Mm. If you don't have a high risk tolerance like I do, I'm, I'm pretty much willing to risk it for the biscuit <laughs> when it comes to anything. If you're not willing to do that, set some parameters for yourself so that way you can understand, okay, I'm okay willing. I'm, I'm willing and I'm okay when I take this amount of risk. And make that... This is, this, is a, this is an idea of a model. Make that the model that you're going to follow. And that can be the action that you take today. Understanding what your risk is, setting that risk profile up so that way you know whenever I hit this parameter, I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to take the next step. So if you don't, if, if you don't feel comfortable taking a lot of risk, I'd say that's a great place to start is figure out where you are comfortable taking risk and make that a standard and make that a goal for you to get to that place where you can take the risk. Exercise your risk muscle. I like yeah. that. Exercise Man, the risk muscle. That is such a good that is such a good piece of advice too because there's so many people that just aren't you know risk takers, but it's you don't have to turn it off. You don't I like I don't want to be risky. You don't have to that doesn't have to kill the deal for you. Right. You can decide how and where you can be risky and then start implementing risk there. Right. Um, man, that's really cool. I think you just changed my perspective on people who don't <laughs> like to take risks. Well, the other thing is too, is that the mindset about that in particular is like, let's say I'm making $100,000 per year. I'm actually losing $900,000 per year because I'm not making a million dollars. And I'm actually losing $9 million because I'm not making 10 million if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this leads back into your first example where you lost 300 but you should have been making 50,000. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so you you are losing even though you're making 100,000, even though you're making $500,000 a year, you're still losing because there's more out there. But that's where it comes into doing the same practice if you are an entrepreneur, understanding what the profile is of risk versus reward and what you want to hit. Because that, that's, the, that's the, the ultimate key to all of this is not trying to be someone else like you're talking about. Don't try to be someone else. Mm-hmm. Figure out what you would like for you and your family and the people around you and go for it. That, that's, that's where you're going to find success. That's where you're going to find longevity. That's where you're going to find sustainability. That's where you're going to find happiness, joy. All these things are going to live in you finding what is best for you in your life. Mm-hmm. Not trying to be somebody else. Right. Commit to one thing and then just be consistent on it each and every day. Carter, I got to say, it's been a pleasure having you today. I know your time is really valuable. So for those that are trying to reach out to you or trying to learn more, how can they How can they get in touch? 100%. I, I appreciate that. It's, it's been a blast being on. Yeah. Um, all of my socials are at Carter Yoakum. And then my media company is called Overnice Media. You can find me at overnicemedia.com. Nice. And then just piggybacking off that, why would people want to reach out to you? I just want you to touch on some of the exciting, just like 
you know, shot shotgun them out to us. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff you got going on. So I am hyper focused on producing content at the moment for myself and and my own branding. So I'm working on with other individuals and mentors building my personal brand so that way I can leverage that to have bigger businesses. So if you guys are interested in building your business, that's what my media agency does is we help in particular businesses grow through social media. And also if you're just interested in partnering, I'm, I'm doing a lot of things this year. I'm actually in the middle of a business acquisition. Mm-hmm. I'm purchasing a business that I'm excited to announce here in a couple of days nice. on my social media. So we'll making, be looking forward to that. Making, making yeah. some big moves. Yeah. yeah. And then I know there's going to be a couple that I'm looking to get in on with you. So yeah, yeah. we'll, awesome. we'll definitely have, You'll be you'll be with the Turnkey Brothers for a long time. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> All right, Carter. Hey, thanks again for coming. Viewers, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you guys next time. Hey, everyone. We're the Turnkey Brothers. And thanks for tuning in with us today. Don't forget to smash our algorithm with those likes, subscribes, and sharing it with someone you think would benefit from this episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platforms at Turnkey Brothers.